Welcome to the Strategic Tech Coaching Podcast. Our host, Oscar and Dermo, will together with guests share proven, tested strategies for improving your life and business. At the end of each episode, you will learn how you can use technology to implement those strategies into your daily life. We want to help you bridge the gap from inspiration to implementation. Welcome to another episode of the Strategic Tech Coaching Podcast. In this episode, I'll sit down to talk to my two new friends, Evelina and Simba. Evelina and I have two things in common. We both lived in Southeast Asia and we are both interested in positive psychology. Evelina lived in Cambodia some time and I spent time in Indonesia. Uh, Evelina is also the founder of the Swedish Institute of Positive Psychology and has a master's degree directly from Penn University with the founder of positive psychology, Professor Martin Seleman is teaching, or like some people call him, Marty. Evelina shares what positive psychology is, but in short we can say that it's the science about what makes life worth living and how we can live to our full potential. For me, this is a very important science. In this episode, we discuss different models from positive psychology and Evelina gives some tips that you can use in your daily life for well-being and to flourish. What about Simba? Who is Simba? Simba is an expert on mindfulness and being in the now. And uh, yeah, he did a small contribution to the episode. Simba is actually a dog. So this is the first time I have a dog on the show. So that was also quite fun to interview Simba. We had a really fun, interesting conversation and I'm sure you will enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Strategic Tech Coaching Podcast and together I'm today together with Evelina and Simba and uh, we had a podcast studio booked but uh, unfortunately they didn't allow Simba to uh, join us in the studio. Uh, Simba is a small dog, I don't know what kind of dog is that? He's a toy poodle. A toy poodle, he's, he's, it's a he right? Uh, yeah yes. it is, it is. And he, he's he. just a puppy so I thought he wouldn't even notice if I just took him with me into the studio but apparently someone saw him anyway he's really cute and i'm sure he wouldn't hurt anyone but maybe maybe there are allergic people there so now we're sitting in a coffee shop so if you hear any noise in the background and sorry sorry for that but uh, we hope i'm sure this will still be an interesting conversation so thank you uh, welcome to the show Thank you. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> so I've been living in Dubai for a long time. So I've been starting with this question. If you were in Dubai with, with me and we were taking the lift up to a sky bar and there was a third person in that lift and he would ask you, so what do you do, Evelina? What would you say? I would say that I have founded the Swedish Institute of Positive Psychology and uh, that my mission now is to teach positive psychology to people in Sweden who are interested in performing better at work and thriving in life. Mm, that's a great answer and uh, I was googling because uh, I've taken a couple of courses in positive psychology I was fascinated by the topic and I was googling about Swedish uh, experts on this and then your name came up so that's that's why we're here. That's great <laughs> that's great <laughs> that you found me that way. So I, I have been back working in Stockholm for it's almost a year now or more than a year but due to the current situation uh, I haven't I haven't met as many people as I would have yeah. wanted to and this is just a great way to keep the dialogue going to do it digitally and uh, um, yeah to engage in this kind of conversations just to um, to see like what would be uh, interesting to Swedish people when it comes to positive psychology what kind of questions uh, do we have in this yeah. context so you did a master's degree uh, of positive psychology but before I want to dig down a little bit in your past like where 
how did you end up uh, in Cambodia? Because I know you spent a lot of time in Cambodia. So maybe mm-hmm. share a little bit for the listeners about your experience in Cambodia. Yeah, so I was working with children's rights and I was sent to a lot of interesting places and Cambodia was one of them. So um, I was there to do a project and I got to know people and I got really attached to the place. So I started working on a book project together with a colleague and we wrote a book based on interviews with girls and women in Phnom Penh. And uh, after spending so much time there going back and forth, I eventually decided to relocate and I stayed in Cambodia for almost two years. And I was mainly working with education and working with education in Cambodia is um, really interesting because only it's about 40 years ago they had a genocide. Uh, where educated people were targeted. So teachers were killed, schools were turned into um, torture centers, and uh, uh, education was simply forbidden in Cambodia. And uh, this regime, they only, uh, they were only present and active for four years, but still this country is struggling to, to recover from um, what happened back then. How many people were killed? Do you remember that? Um, there's assessments that it would be around 2 million people, oh. maybe 1.7. And, and like lo- lo- so all the teachers, teachers were targeted? Yeah, so teachers, um, doctors, like all, all the educated mm. uh, people were killed. And uh, now when, uh, when Cambodia is... Um, in a way rebuilt and made huge uh, progress. Of course, education is valued, but since they don't have the tradition of education, like there's no older educated people, there are unique challenges in this mm. setting. Mm. So um, I was working like with education in two different ways. So one of them was with a local NGO and they provided education to children like basic education and the other assignment that I had was teaching at two different universities Mm. so then I was working directly with with young Cambodian people and so that was just a fantastic experience Mm. so so you grew up in North Sweden and uh, how was it coming from North Sweden and then uh, going all the way to Cambodia because it's (laughs) a little bit of a culture uh, culture shock yeah definitely definitely and especially teaching like when i when i learned how to write they gave me back then we had blackboards they don't exist anymore but back then <laughs> they were blackboards <laughs> so they gave me um a water to write on the blackboard with water and the purpose of that was to learn that if you make a mistake it will disappear <laughs> so <laughs> mistakes are not forever and that that's how i grew up and when I came into the classroom with that attitude to the students, like, just go out there, learn, make mistakes, it's all okay, they were horrified. Because <laughs> that's the opposite of what they have been doing. They've been learning by memorizing. Yeah, like, you're yeah. supposed to repeat whatever the teacher is saying. Yeah. Uh, and a, a lot of respect for the teacher as well, no? like <laughs> a little bit different. Like uh, once uh, a couple of years ago, I asked, uh, I have a, I've been living in many different countries. I have friends all over the world on my Facebook. And I asked on Facebook, in what country did you call your teacher by first name? 
And the only countries that said yeah, said first name was uh, Sweden and Holland, basically, and yeah. Norway, mm. Scandinavia, basically. Uh, so there's a, also a little bit different uh, respect. What did they call you, for example? Yeah, they they would ask me what to call me. <laughs> did you say your first name? <laughs> that they would use my first name. But they still couldn't do it. No, then. no, yeah. they couldn't do that. They, they, we didn't uh, really get to that point, but almost. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was. I was working very hard on creating a more equal relationship to the students. Yeah. And that meant also um, like talking about my life, asking them things about their lives and um, just trying to empower them to feel good in the classroom. And that is actually how I really understood how powerful positive psychology can be. Because in that environment, I was teaching research uh, methods, uh, journalists, uh, principles, and I was teaching um, a course called Non-State Actors in Global Politics. So those topics, it's all about asking questions, being critical about information, uh, searching for new uh, learning. And to do that, you have to be comfortable and you have to be comfortable making mistakes you have to be comfortable not agreeing with your teacher and the only way to do that i realized was to uh, fill this classroom with a lot of positive affirmations a lot of positive images so i started each uh, class with asking someone like what went well this morning mm. tell me something that went mm. well <laughs> and then I asked other students to ask more questions about this event. And <laughs> in the beginning, this could take like 60 minutes to get <laughs> anyone to say anything. But after a while, they kind of got into it and we could start the classes with. Who is uh, this weird blonde, blonde <laughs> teacher, teacher that is telling us, asking us questions, <laughs> not telling us yeah. what to do? Yeah, very interesting. Had yeah. you been traveling a lot before that? or? Uh? Yeah, I had. Mm. I had been traveling a lot. So I had been working in other parts of Asia. Asia and Africa and um, I had been been working mainly with children's and women's rights uh, so I had met a lot of people in extremely vulnerable situations and I had um, yeah I had experience there and I would still say it's something else to to be in one place for longer and to really mm. build relationships to the local community yeah. no yeah no, i mean uh, i think it's good that you traveled a little bit before because otherwise i think the culture shock may have, may have been a bit too big you know <laughs> because it's quite a big difference uh, I, I went to cambodia i told you before 2003 and at that time it felt uh, it was it's probably one of the poorest countries i've been to and uh, that was 2003 i don't know maybe it's better now but uh, we're coming from thailand to Cambodia and you see the difference between Thailand and Cambodia you know so yeah it must be some interesting experiences but you, your interest in positive psychology wh where did the interest in positive psychology start where did it come from yeah I think it started in the very beginning when I was working with um, what we called back then social impact assessments uh, but it, it was definitely in Cambodia where I realized the potential and how fast you can create change with positive psychology and um, I, I have this really strong memory of just being in this classroom working with those students being uh, excited and engaged and feeling like yeah this is 
kind of going well and then the power cuts out like <laughs> okay we're in the dark now <laughs> and that is also like a little bit of a metaphor how how it went like some days it went really well and then uh, it didn't and it just um not not very long after i would be on the other side of the world in philadelphia studying positive psychology with martin seligman who is the founder of positive psychology and uh, so that that was also a really long journey from from that classroom with, <laughs> with oh, so you did that at the same time like uh, you traveled in back uh, and forth or? no i went back i went back to sweden in 2017 mm. and then after after that like i spent almost a year in sweden and then i started uh, the program in philadelphia oh, okay. Okay. Uh, but it was such a big contrast yeah, from being imagine, in yeah. the Cambodian classroom and then being at the University of Pennsylvania in this Ivy League school <laughs> where everything is just working seamlessly all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so yeah, positive psychology for the people, for the listeners that are not aware of what that is, uh, what, how would you describe what positive psychology is? The science of well-being science of um, what makes life most worth living mm -hmm. um, so it's a collection of theories perspectives interventions that focus on whatever is good in life when it comes to human experience but also what is good in people when it comes to talents and strengths mm. And uh, Seligman, uh, what is the story uh, with Seligman? Yeah, so um, Marty. Um, Marty. <laughs> Marty. <laughs> <laughs> Professor uh, Seligman. Or yeah, Marty. Yeah. yeah, that is also a person that we use the first names. So yeah, call him Marty. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> and his actually. students always uh, yeah. did. And uh, so he is. Um, he was the head of the psychology association. Yeah, yeah. he was. So he has a really long long history with psychology and he did some very impactful work on depression and learned helplessness and uh, things like that and he is now one of the most cited psychologists uh, alive and um, a lot of that comes from his more traditional work on depression and anxiety and that kind of disorders but it, about 20 years ago he was the president of the American Psychology psychological association APA and uh, when he um, when he got that position he um, articulated a need to look at new things because psychology uh, made so much progress when it comes to um, helping people who are suffering but we didn't pay enough attention to the opposite of that what is thriving, what is flourishing, mm. what is a good life. Mm. So it was when he said that and when he started to work in that direction, that is like the start of positive psychology as a scientific field. Mm. Yeah, um, there's a lot of a lot of things for you, uh, that I'm interested in this topic, a lot of things to talk about about this topic yeah, because there's so many interesting things for this because I think it's a, such an important uh, scientific uh, area. So. But first, uh, he distinguished between pleasant life and uh, meaningful life. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between a pleasant life and a meaningful life? Yeah, I can uh, 
I can give my perspective on that and it wouldn't be exactly the same as uh, the way Marty would talk about this but um, yeah, the pleasant life would be what we would uh, call happiness and uh, it would be a lot of focus on positive emotions and uh, interesting with this is that uh, even if that might be the first thing that comes to mind when you think about what is good in life is something pleasant but that is not really what motivates us like we are much more as people we are more driven by doing something meaningful mm. and to be more specific like what is <laughs> what is meaningful in life uh, it tend to be a little bit philosophical and people start asking themselves like what is the meaning of life but it, it's more fruitful maybe to think how do I create meaning in my life and that could actually be pretty simple like if you discover what are your strengths and then you use them to reach um, a purpose that is bigger than you then you will experience meaning mm. yeah. and that is a much stronger drive for most of us and I would also say that the pleasant life like that is not the goal of everything but positive emotions like specifically positive emotions are important mm -hmm. and they could also um, uh, have a positive impact on uh, our ability to problem solve and mm. things like that so so I don't want to say that positive emotions are not important they are super important but they can't be uh, the ultimate goal yeah. of why we are here uh, do you know Dan Bilzerian Uh, he's an influencer on Instagram he has millions of followers and he basically travels the world and just experiences the pleasant life he travels around with 20 like models and eat in nice restaurants and just do crazy stuff uh, and I listened to some podcasts with him and he uh, he says that uh, uh, because he basically lives the pleasant life he just have positive emotions all the like do fun stuff all the time but then that kind of wears off Because, like, for him, he's saying, I had eaten in the best restaurants all over the world. If I eat something bad now, I, it's not, my standards are so high. So, uh, basically, the happiness doesn't come from the present life, it seems like. And that's a really important point as well. So, um, uh, adaptation is something real. Like, we get used to uh, something that is good. Like, the first mm. scoop of ice cream is delicious, and the last yeah. one isn't. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is how it works. And finding meaning is a way to to avoid that yeah no I read uh, Authentic Happiness a few years ago uh, with Selingman and I remember that adaption thing that for example I love skiing uh, and I worked two seasons in ski resorts when I was younger and uh, at, the, at some point it's like well it's okay you know you, you don't do it every day when you live there but then when you go up on a holiday for one week uh, you're like oh I need to do it every day and then it's, <laughs> it's like amazing yeah. but when you have it every day the adaption is like well, it's not so fun anymore you know? <laughs> so uh, I think the solution he said was to, to still do it but take breaks in between or something like this the, the positive yeah. emotions and yeah it could that could be one way to do it and another thing uh, that could be quite effective if you have a positive intervention in your life maybe that is skiing or maybe it's something more um, like a structured positive intervention like a gratitude journal or something if you make it social uh, you will keep the positive ah. effect of it because <laughs> human relationships are so dynamic and complex so that 
things that are social, we tend to not get tired of them mm. the same way. So yeah. if you ski with friends, maybe Th not the same friend sense. every day, yeah. but like different people. And if you maybe I can take a break from my gratitude journal and instead get on the phone and tell a friend what went well this yeah, yeah. afternoon or something. So the social aspect of it, that makes sense because when I was living in Sermat, for example, and skiing almost every day, uh, when you when you didn't have anyone to ski with, it's like it's boring, you know. <laughs> you do two runs, and then it's like, no, I don't want to do this. But when you have the social aspect, then it's much more fun, you know. So. But yeah. Uh, yeah, they have in positive psychology, you work with the model PERMA, right? Uh, yeah. P E R M A. So can you share a little bit about the PERMA model? Yeah, so P is for positive emotions. Uh, e is for engagement. R is for relationships. M is for meaning, and A is for accomplishment. So uh, positive emotions, I, I already uh, said, said a few words about how important they can be and they can have a positive impact on cognition. They can help your problem solve better. And it could actually be, it sounds a little bit silly, but when you sit, sit down with a really hard problem and then you just Google a cute cat video, <laughs> then you might be better equipped to solve it afterwards because you have that boost of positive emotions. Then mm, yeah, to say something more about um, happiness and, and positive emotions, one of the reasons why I don't, I don't talk so much about happiness is not that I'm, like, I, I've seen a lot of people do a lot of good things with that word and it's mm. uh, like it could be useful, but with some of the populations that I work with, uh, happiness is a bit problematic. So kind of recently I was working with a number of organizations working with people recovering from drug addiction, for example. And with that audience, when you talk about happiness and being like really, really excited about something, that is not always a good thing. Mm. That is something associated to addiction. And the same when you talk to a person with a bipolar disorder, for example, happiness um, for a person like that could also be something deeply problematic. So there's... Um, complexity to happiness and then there's also like many people li like me uh, who are uh, living a comfortable life in a very safe and pleasant city a city that is good even in November mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I miss Dubai now but yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a different story <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's a bit cold in Stockholm at the moment yeah yeah or the weather, the weather. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that is like pretty much one of our biggest problems here yeah. when when we start to talk about happiness it tends to be very inward focused like it's about me like mm. I need to be more happy instead of what can I do how can I go out there in the world and contribute to something that is valuable to other people so yeah uh, positive emotions super complex super interesting uh, it's also different for different people like how yeah. motivated are you by positive emotions yeah. and it's this also this thing with pleasant life versus meaningful life like uh, 
I think uh, Professor Unestow sometimes says this, if it was only about pleasant life, you could just lie on the sofa and take heroin or, you know, and take cocaine, and then you have positive emotions all the time. But that's not the life that you want in the long run. You know? Exactly, so exactly. You want something, you want something more, because you want bigger, the yeah. other components of perma as well. Yeah. So let's go <laughs> to the next one. Yeah, <laughs> E for engagement. Mm. And like, the most extreme form of engagement would be flow. And flow is when you're completely in the moment you're absorbed by whatever you are doing and flow experiences are not that common that is not something that we have every day like Csikszentmihalyi um, who is one of the most influential uh, researchers on this topic he wrote that many of the people who experiences flow they do this like, once in a month a few times a year it's not something that you can have all the time but it is important and when you find a perfect balance between how difficult a task is and how skilled you are uh, then uh, you have a chance of experiencing that so I, I guess you have examples from your skiing yeah exactly yeah absolutely yeah, if it's too easy, it's not fun, and if it's, it needs to be some kind of balance. You know? Yeah, and if it's yeah. just too hard, you won't even be skiing. E exactly. You'll be lying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I also play, or play floorball or innebande. It's a Swedish like a land hockey game, and it's the same thing. Like if you play against a team where it's too easy, it's like uh, needs to be just just like uh, fighting. Uh, then <laughs> that's when you get, can get into those flow states, and, and which is addictive as well. You know, like definitely, uh, definitely. Am. But a normal a positive addiction. I think, yeah. Most of the time. Yeah, and a normal level, level of engagement is also important. And that's been interesting now when a lot of people have been working from home. And for some people, this has been just wonderful because they can focus, they can fully focus on what they are doing. And other people <laughs> experience the opposite. Like they are constantly interrupted by Zoom calls, by family members who are also at home. Mm. And uh, I think this engagement factor play uh, a big role in how people are right now when they are working from home mm. and then we have uh, relationships and relationships um, it's, it's so in a way so obvious that that is something that we need to thrive and then at the same time it's just so difficult to figure out how to do it <laughs> like how do we have good relationships mm. and uh, one one thing that uh, I, when I teach, when I teach positive psychology, uh, we talk a lot about how do we respond to people's good news. So if you tell me, if you tell me something that went well and I disengage from the conversation, I just say something like, oh, that's nice. Uh, that will be something that destroys the connection that we have. Like we will not have a very good conversation after that because you will feel like I, I don't care about your positive event. But if I do the opposite, if I really ask you questions like, wow, how was that? Tell me more about that. Then I will allow you to re-experience this positive event and your brain will kind of uh, store the memory of this conversation in a positive place and our relationship will be better. And this is also <laughs> so something that happens a lot, uh, especially with parents, unfortunately, is that we would call them and we will tell them something 
like good news like a young person would call a parent and say like oh I got into this university and the parent will say something like oh that's really far away <laughs> and <laughs> being totally destructive and that mm. kind of things really destroys relationships because mm. the next time this person has uh, something going going well uh, she or he won't call the parent anymore and of course this comes from a good place like you want to protect your kids against disappointment and you want to make sure that they are prepared for all the things that can go wrong that is only natural but we have to work on that and especially as parents we just have to uh, learn how to ask questions about things that go well instead of saying something <coughs> negative like oh that's far away <laughs> yeah that's a very good uh, good point and good advice for uh, building strong relationships so next m yeah, and that's uh, meaning and we talked about that a little bit earlier when we talked about the meaningful life and I actually think it's that simple like find uh, whatever your strengths are and use them to contribute to something that is bigger than you mm. and <laughs> like it, it's simple when you say it it's not simple to do of course that could take a lifetime to find um, but that is really the key and at last we have A for accomplishment and that is mostly about uh, goals and setting goals that keeps us motivated and um, we should remember that um, reaching goals it doesn't necessarily make us happy but striving towards them mm. actually makes us happy yeah <laughs> that's also funny you know that you think it's the end goal but it's actually the the, the journey that is the yeah it's the process <laughs> yeah the process oh, yeah. interesting um yeah we were talking about uh, before uh, the interview that my mom worked with arbetsglädje uh, in swedish which is kind of like the english version we said maybe will be joy at work or because i always normally say happiness at work but maybe joy at work would be a better word but have you have positive psychology looked at the correlation between a happy workplace uh, and uh, profitability yeah and um, uh, there are studies on that so um, uh, for example there's um, a study based on a gallup data set and it includes uh, about 2 million employees in different sectors and they looked at how satisfied or how um, well people are at work and they looked at a number of different factors so uh, productivity goes up profitability goes up uh, staff turnover is less yeah. um, so this is something really really important for yeah, businesses yeah. to consider I, I mean it's funny that it takes a scientific study to i mean it's pretty obvious like if you go to a workplace where you enjoy what you're doing you have fun with your colleagues you work with your strengths that will affect profitability in a good yeah. way you know it's like you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's absolutely fascinating and it's also interesting to see how this differs in different sectors and in yeah. different companies that the impact of how well people are is even um, even higher when it comes to the financial sector. So people working there, if they are thriving at work, uh, it is even more important. It has even even a bigger impact on yeah. the results. Yeah. No, I mean, if I look at uh, in the Middle East, there's a lot of companies where owners are just looking at uh, the numbers and they don't really care about the people. It's just uh, maximizing, you know. But uh, it has the 
the reverse effects because turnover is high and people are not uh, engaged when they're with the clients. So yeah, we need to focus more on improving. But what what would you call it? Like um, yeah, but I. I kind of like the Swedish word Arbetsglädje mm -hmm. uh, and <laughs> like the very direct translation joy at work yeah. but I think li like you said in the beginning like happiness at work would probably be uh, more commonly used mm. Mm. but but it is something I also like being very specific about positive emotions like what do you mean like mm. are you excited or do you feel joy like mm. those are mm. two different things yeah 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 Yeah, and uh, the way my mom did it, like I said before, that uh, they asked the uh, frontline staff, "What can you do to make this? Or what can we do to make this organization better?" So the improvement ideas came from everyone, not just top down. You know, and in the 80s and the 90s, this was a really big thing. Uh, two things that have changed, I think, since then is that the organizations are much more uh, global. Like there's more cross culture, cross culture, and of course technology. Uh, it's completely different than in the 80s and the 90s when my mom was active with this and, uh, and uh, my mom there they had really good success with this they didn't look so much at the strength based movement which uh, I know is big in the positive psychology and also Gallup is working with the strength based movement and any thoughts on, on this uh, can can you build an organization solely on everyone's strengths or um, yeah like, like in a way Uh, organizations are always built on strengths like sometimes we talk about organizations as if they were problems but they are in fact solutions and this comes from David Cooperider who talks about appreciative inquiry and he um, he describes that like if the market needs something and uh, an organization can deliver on that um, that is more of a solution than a problem and that is the approach we can have to to organizations and also um, Peter Drucker the management guru he um, he also talked about mm. how leadership is the ability mm. to align people's strengths oh, so all are there yeah with the effective ex executive yeah yeah uh, interesting Um, no, because I think in the old days it was a lot of focus on improvement areas and like these are your strengths and these are your weaknesses and you work on your weaknesses. But in the strength-based movement it's more these are your strengths and how can you work even more with those strengths and let someone else <laughs> work with, with your weaknesses. Kind of. And mm -hmm. I think that's a better approach. But yeah. it's a big organization. I don't know how much is happening at, uh, in, in these days. In a way... I'm, I'm thinking about how it works in school because if you're not good at math in school the teacher will give you more math <laughs> yeah. assignments yeah, exactly. but when you graduate like no one will pay you to do math <laughs> if you're not good at yeah, it exa <laughs> so then exactly. you finally get to do what you're good at yeah exactly yeah, so in a way I, th I think corporations could be better at this than yeah than yeah. others I think uh, yeah private yeah. sector could be uh, could be more successful at yeah. it sometimes yeah. <laughs> another topic that they talk about in positive psychology is this thing with grit and Angela Duckworth uh, has a famous TED talk about this and also a book that I read and uh, it's quite interesting she was your teacher uh, in uh, Penn yeah. uh, so a little bit about grit how is grit important in uh, 
achieving a good PERMA score. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Angela Ducourt teaches at a program where I studied and she teaches statistics. And you and need, need grit to survive the statistics course. <laughs> or you need her. Oh, okay. She's <laughs> the most inspiring teacher. Like uh, every class with her was just amazing. And it doesn't matter if you like, spend hours looking at numbers. Uh, like with with her energy in the room, it just gets amazing. That's really interesting because <laughs> statistics is not really like the most fun topic to listen to a lecture. But to, I mean, to many people, to it, people, it would yeah. be that. But depending um, on your strengths, now I'm showing my strengths. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so and grit, as she defines it, it is passion and perseverance. So it's that you really. Uh, you're passionate about a goal. Something is really important to you, but you stick to it instead of just being super passionate for like one day or two. Uh, you you keep working towards the same aim for for longer, and uh, this is um, also um, depending on your ability to self-regulate example so again um, parenting really matters because uh, if you teach kids to work to get a reward or to avoid some kind of punishment uh, then it will be very hard for them to self-regulate and they will not be very gritty so you have to teach them how to find that inner driving force like what will make me want to do this uh, and then support that. So mm. support this independent um, striving towards goals that are important to kids. That is mm. really important. And like giving kids rewards for <laughs> for different things. Like if you do your homework, you will get ice cream. Uh, mm. That is really bad for grit. Like don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, I got a lot of rewards for doing uh, chores at home, like doing the dishes, you get paid. And then, <laughs> and now I don't do the dishes <laughs> <laughs> because no one is paying me to do it. Exactly. So. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. <laughs> and it works exactly like that with yeah. everything. And yeah. this is awesome. Like doing the dishes or not, that is like, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're fine anyways. Okay. <laughs> but it, it could also have more serious consequences. Like yeah. we know that if you lack the ability to self-regulate and regulate your emotions, you are at much greater risk of uh, eating disorders, um, self-harm, a lot of those things that teenagers uh, really suffer from. It comes from... Uh, not being able to self-regulate, oh, not okay. being able to regulate your emotions, not being able to uh, strive towards a goal that is mm. important to you. And the inability to sit with an unpleasant emotion, that is what drives destructive behaviors. Mm. Yeah. Interesting, and I recommend everyone to look at the TED Talk by Angela Duckworth. I think you just go to TED and search for grit or Angela yeah. Duckworth. And yeah, it's an interesting concept. Um, another thing I wanted to discuss with you is uh, I lived in Bali in Indonesia for six months uh, working for a hotel. And I remember I had uh, dinner with uh, some Swedish guests that were staying in the hotel. And they were sitting the whole dinner complaining about how bad everything was in Sweden. And the waiter 
was this uh, Balinese woman. She was just smiling, happy. She was so happy and proud that this Swedish couple had came all the way to her little island. I know her salary was not good at all. She stays in a small, small place, of course, and she would probably never, never be able to afford to buy a car. She rides a, you know, a scooter to work and uh, uh, poor conditions, you know. But she was just smiling and being happy. So I think there was a lot to learn from this, but also. Later on, I see this World Happiness Report that has been coming, and Scandinavia is always on top. Denmark won one year, and then I think the, the next year Finland won. And I know a lot of Finnish people, and I never see them smiling except <laughs> when they're in, under the influence of alcohol, let's say. But uh, these Balinese people were smiling all the time. So, uh, what are your thoughts on this uh, happiness report? I know it's in this, it measures a lot of different things, but uh, you spend time in, in a lot of time in Southeast Asia as well. So. Yeah. So. Um, this is a very, it's a common reflection that people travel, like I met a lot of tourists in Cambodia saying like, oh, wow, it's so amazing that people can be so happy here. And then uh, two, two things about that. Like if you meet people working in the service industry, like you smile for tips. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not, yeah. like you can't, you can't tell if a person is authentically mm. happy by ordering drinks from her yeah. um, <laughs> True. Like, <Yeah>. I'm sorry <laughs> but that, that's just the way it is but then then um, on top of that it is also like happiness is not depending on your financial resources like to a certain to a certain extent you have to have your most fundamental needs met uh, to um, to be to be um, happy, of course, uh, but after that, like after a certain um, certain income, it, it doesn't have much mm. impact. Um, but I would also say uh, Sweden is in many ways very individualistic uh, compared to many South mm. Asian countries. And I think that could make us more unhappy. And I, I personally found it just so hard coming back and just like not having conversations with people, like living like a very uh, isolated life. Like everyone is just like inside your own uh, nice apartment. And mm. yeah, when I was in Cambodia, I lived right outside of Phnom Penh in a small village. Uh, next to the Mekong River and uh, most mornings when I woke up there was like no water in the pipes I had to go out and have conversations in the local language with like three people before I could have a shower mm. and mm -hmm. and it sounds like an inconvenience but it definitely contributed to my happiness to be able to say thank you at least three times before <laughs> I had a shower. <laughs> yeah. So like that, being dependent on other people. And yeah. like that is something really positive. Yeah, yeah. No, like in, in, in Bali when I was, uh, I was, I always been tired in the mornings before, but I'm, I'm working on that actually. But uh, when I woke up and I had to go down to breakfast and I was, I was staying in the hotel, I was working and I had to walk down to the breakfast area. And to walk from my room to the breakfast area, I maybe passed like four or five housekeeping people because there was a big garden in that hotel. And they were all like super happy, smiling, and like, Salamat Pagi, good morning, Oscar. And like, 
Ah, oh, she's so tired. <laughs> they look so happy. <laughs> so, but yeah, positive emotions is one thing. And but this relationship thing, yeah, I think it's uh, Scandinavia has a lot to learn from many other countries. You know that we live in single households. We don't maybe don't take care of our parents, and so we have a lot to learn. I think from other cultures in that aspect. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. And uh, people like us interested in in psychology and personal growth. We should also consider that. Like, what do we teach people? Like, do we teach people to care more about themselves, or do we teach people to care more about other people and build healthier relationships? Yeah. So it's not about like personal development, uh, personal brand. Like, be your best self. To uh, I don't know, <laughs> uh, look like the brightest person in the room. Like, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, I, just for the listeners, these happiness reports uh, are there's a lot of factors that are included. So it's also corruption and like the healthcare and so on. All all the aspects, uh, the life quality of life is very good in Scandinavia, of course. Yeah. But uh, maybe not just. Uh, I don't think they measure perma. They measure a lot of different things, basically. So, um, so you did your in your studies. You did uh, is it thesis when you do masters or what do you yeah yeah we did something called a capstone project that is a thesis mm, and your research was on narcissism i understand yeah so uh, yeah i'm uh, interested in technology <laughs> and how technology can be used for good and bad and in today's world with social media and uh, so share a little bit about your <laughs> narcissism study yeah i was uh, um it, it actually came i think the idea was from when i I just got back from Cambodia and it was probably the same weather as today and I was in a coffee shop and yeah I saw um how the girl working in the coffee shop she just put a salad or something on the counter and the woman just snapped at her like I didn't order a salad and the girl answered like oh this is not for you because <laughs> it was like 20 people <laughs> standing in line for their food but this woman could just see herself mm. and I thought to myself like oh this narcissistic entitled culture <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so I, I did a study about when I wanted to measure uh, narcissistic attitudes, entitlement, and what I consider being like a little bit of the opposite to that, gratitude, uh, in a Swedish sample and in a Cambodian sample. And uh, I thought, I thought it would be um, uh, Swedish people who are much more narcissistic and entitled than the Cambodian people. Um, I was partly wrong. Oh, I was uh, I was wrong about a lot of things, so that was <laughs> that was exciting. Um, so what what I found when I did this, one of the most interesting things is that you can break down narcissism into seven different components, and one of those components is vanity, and that is something that we often think about when we think about narcissism. Like people want to look good; it's about the selfies. Uh, we love to say that like young people today are so narcissistic but that is something that people our age have been saying forever like it's never been worse than right now and that kind of statements yeah so uh, and and but and that's true like younger people could be slightly higher on vanity like they care more about their appearance but all the other factors in narcissism including 
entitlement that is really toxic that is actually higher for people our age and people who are more established on the work market and mm -hmm. that is also what what is actually toxic in a workplace if you feel entitled like i have all those rights and no obligations and i uh, should have all those special rewards then you're a super destructive um team member but if you go and take a couple of mirror selfies every now and then like that doesn't matter for anyone like mm -hmm. it, there's no harm in vanity yeah <laughs> so uh, what difference did you see between sweden and cambodia yeah so i had thought that the swedish um i did like i compared student samples and i thought that the swedish students would have been more um entitled uh, but it actually turned out that it was the other way around in my sample it's a, it's a small sample but it says something about how uh, <laughs> hmm. Simba, what do you think? Yeah, Simba, <laughs> Simba, the, finally, yeah, Simba the Lion King has <laughs> something to say about yeah, this as well. <laughs> Simba, I don't know if you could hear that, but that was uh, the dog that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah but, but entitlement is also associated with anger. And I think my students, my Cambodian students, they were uh, kind of like engaged in how do I say this in a sensitive way <laughs> like they were resisting a lot of different things like they were in um, they, they were they cared about things uh, that people around them didn't care about um, they had been working really hard to um, uh, express their own opinions they wanted to um, uh, they wanted to um, um just create a life that wasn't really expected of them and in that like using anger as a driving force to make a change maybe that isn't all bad and entitlement is also about rights like fighting for your rights maybe that isn't always bad um so it's it's complex but uh, I could it's maybe the most important learning from this is that we can't we can't just walk around uh, in our normal life and assume like people in Sweden are so entitled and people in Cambodia are so grateful because when you look at the data of something like that it could be the other way around mm. and it kind of proves how important it is to actually back your statements with Red data research, yeah. so instead of me sitting here like in cambodia everyone is fantastic and grateful mm. <laughs> like I, I will have to say that i actually don't know and yeah, in my yeah. small sample yeah. <laughs> it looks like it might not be uh, yeah. no i guess it's the same with my experience in bali that everyone is smiling doesn't mean that they uh, are actually grateful and happy it's i know there's a lot of they, they when you talk to many they have a lot of challenges of course you know paying bills paying you know all this uh, tough times that uh, you experience in a country with uh, not as many resources as we have back in Sweden you know so <laughs> uh, anything else about narcissism and um, no but I, I think it like I had several conversations with people like who, who reached out and said something like oh it's so interesting that you studied narcissism 
because it's such a big problem amongst young people. And when I tell them, like, no, it's actually us, they would hang up. <laughs> so we don't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, so uh, in Dubai, I also saw, seen a lot of uh, people with a lot of money that are not happy. That, uh, you know, maybe sometimes it's rumors, but you hear people with... Uh, so all the money in the world and they ha are taking drugs and they're doing bad stuff basically uh, and I have this theory that uh, in every rich country they should go for one or two weeks on school holiday to a poor country when they're maybe 15 to, to work as a volunteer and just to see the contrast you know when you have to ask to get a shower three times before you take a shower <laughs> like you in Cambodia so what did you learn about PERMA living in Cambodia? Um, I learned a lot about how to be optimistic and being optimistic uh, doesn't mean that I expect the best all the time being optimistic is rather about focusing on whatever I can control mm. and uh, work hard on that instead of <laughs> just looking at all the difficult things like I couldn't do anything about the power cuts uh, at work like my classroom would be dark from time to time uh, and there's nothing I can do about that mm. but I will have to focus on whatever I can do to plan my um, lectures to plan my teaching in a way that it will benefit the students and that is what I will have to focus on and that to me is optimism mm, yeah. Um, yeah, no, like uh, the weather now, I was complaining about the weather, but I accept it and there's nothing I can do to change the weather. I can just, but I can put a better jacket on that can take take <laughs> the rain, you know, so. Yeah, or just refuse to go out all day and just. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, autumn in Sweden is quite nice as well. Uh, all the trees are yellow and you can stay inside and just <laughs> cozy up. Yeah, like me yeah. and my son this morning, we actually decided to do, to do an experiment this month and um, Every time we want to complain about something, we are instead going to say something about how excited we are about November. Uh, like, look at this beautiful gray sky. And <laughs> like, that's so, a, that's so a we, great practice. Yeah, we, we're going to try this for a month and see how it goes. Okay, uh, I'm not excellent. sure we're going to make it. <laughs> Perfect, which leads us to my last, uh, one of my last questions. And So in positive psychology, uh, the research eventually are supposed to lead to practices, right? That you can use in your daily life. So what are your like top three or maybe yeah, top three practices from positive psychology that you think everyone should use. Yeah, so um, first, I think it is important to be there for people when they are having a hard time, but it is equally important to be there with them when things are going great. Like, celebrate with your friends, ask them questions about what is going well, uh, ask your kids about what they feel excited about not <laughs> don't tell them all the negative things that you see all the time like give space to that happiness in relationships and even if you don't really care about the topic like maybe you have a partner who is super interested in something that you don't really know something about then still spend a little bit of time in conversation about this just to see and excitement in your partner's face and just listen to what makes her or him um, 
happy. Like, mm. Listen to that and give that space. Uh, second, I would say gratitude. Um, gratitude can be defined as the ability to pay attention to how you benefit from what other people do. Like, how do I benefit from everything around me? And it doesn't have to mean that you should say thank you a lot. Gratitude is deeper than that. Um, so try to direct your attention to what other people are doing for you all the time and what the universe is doing for you or whatever uh, works for you. Uh, I write the gratitude journal, but there's a lot of different exercises that you can do. Uh, if you want to try a gratitude journal, I would suggest that you write down three things every day that went well and explain why. Uh, this morning I had a nice breakfast. Why? Because I prepared and I got eggs yesterday so I could make pancakes this morning or mm. whatever it would be. Because um, in that explaining why we are um, training our brains to, to ask that kind of questions about the good things and spending more time in that thinking process. And third, I would say develop a vocabulary for what is positive. Like I still work on that. And like I would go into a meeting and say, like I probably said that when we started this podcast as well, like, oh, I'm uh, happy to be here or I'm excited to be here. But did I really think about what I meant? Maybe I should say like, oh, I'm interested in this conversation and I'm looking forward to hear your questions, Oscar. Mm -hmm. uh, so be more precise about what you mean and make a bigger effort to express positive things. Excellent. Three great practices that listeners can take with them. Uh, Simba, the dog, has been uh, so cute the whole conversation. I don't understand why they didn't allow him in the podcast studio because he's the sweetest dog ever. What can <laughs> we learn about happiness from uh, positive psychology from uh, Simba? <laughs> yeah, I actually think we can learn a lot about psychology from, from dogs in general. Yeah. yeah, but it is so <laughs> especially interesting, I think, with animals or dogs is that we can really see how behavior drives emotions instead of emotions driving behaviors. So like when you create a calm environment for the dog and um, keep it still, it will feel calm. It's not that you can wait until it's calm mm. before it can lie down. And it's the same for us. Like if we act like we are interested in things, we will develop an interest for those mm. things. <laughs> so uh, if you do uh, workshops on positive psychology in Sweden but also in other parts of the world or yeah um, uh, so right now uh, we are focusing on doing workshops in Sweden we work in uh, small groups large rooms um, <laughs> and uh, people from all kinds of different sectors and with different experiences uh, come to those workshops and um, it's just been um, experiences that like I learned so much and it is also a lot of this knowledge is from an American context and it is different here like work mm. life is different mm. here and uh, the culture is different the questions are different so um, it's just been amazing facilitating those yeah and if they want to find out more what is the website 
positivity.se. Okay. So uh, you can email me as well on evelina at positivity.se or write me on Instagram evelina.positivity. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time. It was really interesting to talk with you and also to talk to Simba a little bit. And uh, uh, this is a fascinating topic. And uh, maybe we can do this again one more time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow, some great tips from Evelina and positive psychology. If you are in Sweden, Evelina is doing a workshop about positive psychology on 1st and 2nd December. And I recommend you to attend this as you will learn many important life skills. You can go to positivity.se to learn more about this. As I shared in the episode, my mother worked with happiness at work in the 80s and the 90s. So I've personally been interested in this topic for my whole life. And I think it's great that we now have a scientific field that studies this so we can test our assumptions. One thing you can do now is to take your phone out, go to your photos library, find a picture of something that you're grateful for. Look at the picture, get back into that feeling and notice what is happening in your body. Gratefulness is a powerful emotion. And some news from Strategic Tech Coaching. 2020 is a tough year for many, including me. I have now taken the best from the latest brain science, mental training and positive psychology and turned it into a workshop with the sole focus of improving one's energy, especially for those that are forced to work remote. This is perfect for any group where the energy is a bit down due to current circumstances. I have also turned this into a coaching program. So if you as an individual need an energy boost, let me know and send me an email at oscar at strategictechcoaching.com and Oscar with a K. As always, you can follow the journey on Instagram and find more videos on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and search for Strategic Tech Coaching. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Strategic Tech Coaching Podcast with your host, Oscar Endermo. We'll catch you next time.